Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Wild weather is any forecast of what's to come. We need to get our carbon emissions under control quickly. As the jet stream to our north and the Gulf Stream to our east continue to wobble and weaken, Weather patterns that enable us to predictably grow food and maintain a habitable lifestyle are collapsing. The severe winter weather is a warning and will become civilization threatening and eventually could even bring down the whole human species. The crisis is now. Stay tuned. We had no electricity yesterday, which meant we had no heat all day. Sometime in the evening, the power came back on throughout the neighborhood. Our studio is is just down the road from where we live. So, you know, the studio was working and Sean was able to make it into work today, which she couldn't do on Friday because of the, you know, I mean, Portland just got whomped. We had eight inches of snow here at our house, which is just unprecedented for Portland. I mean, there was a big snowstorm back in 1960, but basically everybody's saying, This is the worst it's ever been. And just to make clear what happened, I wrote about this today over at medium.com as a result of global warming. That jet stream, which keeps the polar air in the polar region, it acts like kind of a wall around a fortress, right? It keeps the cold air on top of the world where it's supposed to be rather than letting it slide down onto the rest of the world. That has been breaking down. And it's been breaking down because what creates it is the temperature differential, the difference in temperature between the polar region and us, the rest of the northern hemisphere. And when that difference is really big, when it's really cold there and it's not so cold here, that difference creates what could be called a front. If you've ever seen a thunderstorm coming, you know, that's typically cold air behind the thunderstorm warm air where you are, and as the two collide, boom, you've got this front, and that's your line of thunderstorms, right? Well, the jet stream could be thought of as a, as a massive front. So as the ice in the Arctic has been melting steadily, as it's been melting, it has been replaced sunlight and heat-reflecting white ice by sunlight and heat-absorbing blue and black water. It's been heating up two to six times faster than the rest of the globe. And as it heats up, that difference in temperature between the Arctic region and us diminishes to the point where the jet stream loses its potency. It loses its strength. And it can't hold that cold air back. And that's what happened this week, or last week, is it just couldn't hold that cold air back on the Arctic any longer. And it kind of broke open and drooled down all the way down to Mexico and brought a huge mass of cold Arctic air with it. 
get ready for more of this. I mean, this is a serious problem. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a serious problem. It gets worse and worse as time goes on unless we stop burning fossil fuels. So huge flag that we need to be paying attention to global warming. We need a new Green New Deal, frankly. We need to decarbonize our transportation and other systems and, and, and housing systems in this country. And we need to do it as quickly as we can. I really want to talk about how the collapse of the energy system in Texas the collapse of the social safety net all across the United States, 40 years of paralysis in terms of rebuilding and maintaining this nation's infrastructure, the perpetual lies being told by the Republican Party across a whole spectrum of issues from coronavirus lies to global warming lies to Trump lost the election, won the election, whatever lies are all the same thing. And they're all coming out of this one same place, which is this idea that was popularized back in the 1950s by Milton Friedman out of the University of Chicago and Ayn Rand and, and uh, Hayek and others, von Mises, that markets are the solution to everything. Government is always going to screw things up. If you want things to work, you have to always rely on markets, which is a fancy way, a, a very elegant kind of dressing for the argument that we should not be governing ourselves, which is democracy. Instead, we should be governed by those who have the most economic control in the marketplace, the oligarchs. It's an argument for oligarchy, essentially. What that does is it leads to an absolute disintegration of anything that doesn't make a profit. If the entire, if your entire focus, if the one thing that you're always looking at is how do we maximize short-term profits, all the long-term goals that you would otherwise have, like making sure, for example, that your electric generation system down in Texas is capable of dealing with cold weather. And this is not, I mean, yes, it's a historic cold, but this is not the first time the system in Texas has collapsed like this. Back in 2011, this happened. It got really cold in Texas. And as a consequence, again, the, the moisture in the natural gas lines froze up and the flow of natural gas radically dropped. And as a result of that, the power plants that were running on natural gas and people's homes for that matter, couldn't get enough gas. And you know, it was a crisis. In fact, it happened several times. It happened in 1989 as well. And in both cases, the federal government came in and uh, looked at the situation. Federal energy officials, this is the, the, the uh, and, and, and what they found was that there was a complete failure here to winterize these systems, to, to be capable of dealing with these kinds of problems. And what did, the, what did the Texas utilities do? These for-profit utilities that are, that are looking at you know, short-term profits rather than long-term concerns, they just shrugged. They said, man, not our problem. You know, doing that. The, the same thing, by the way, happened in California. California, you've got PG&E, which is a for-profit corporation that, that got spun out of Enron, as you'll recall. And... You know, while they were paying literally multi-million dollar bonuses and salaries to senior executives and billions in dividends to their stockholders, which is what for-profit companies do, they were not 
maintaining their power lines. They were not putting power lines underground where they might not be subject to high winds or to, to wildfires. They were not doing just basic maintenance. The same thing has been happening in Texas. And now, of course, we've got Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, just, you know, lying through his teeth. You know, this shows how the Green New Deal would be a deadly deal for the United States of America, Greg Abbott said. Our wind and our solar got shut down and they were collectively more than 10% of our power grid. And that thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power on a statewide basis. It shows fossil fuel is necessary. Well, that's like, there's a whole bunch of lies in there. Wind turbines like that, like the ones that shut down in Texas, being run by private for-profit utilities, those same kinds of wind turbines are running right now in Greenland and Sweden and Norway and northern Germany, where it's a hell of a lot colder than it is in Texas, and they're not freezing up. Why? Because they're being properly maintained. Because they were anticipating the possibility of this kind of thing happening. Because it routinely happens, you know, up in the Arctic Circle in Norway. But, you know, hey, it would have cost a little bit more money. It would have meant that they couldn't give their executives big, big bonuses. It would have meant that the various power companies in Texas that were deregulated back in the 1980s, I believe it was, Texas said, that's it. We're going to disconnect our grid from all these states around us, and we're going to go our own way because the federal government wants to regulate our electricity. The federal government wants to have a say in how reliable our electricity is. And we're going to have nothing to do with that. And the consequence of that is what we're seeing right now. The Washington Post is just remarkable. It's the financial structure for power generation that offers no incentives to power plant operators to prepare for winter in the name of deregulation and free markets. And this, by the way, is also happening in Oklahoma and Louisiana, where they've got somewhat similar situations. They haven't completely blocked themselves off from other states. There has been no shortage of studies over the years. We've had a number of people on talking about this over the years. In fact, it was a, a topic, a, a major topic of conversation on this program back during the California wildfires, that when utilities are run by the people, when utilities are owned and run by government, by the state government, by county governments, by city governments, when they are utilities, actual utilities, when they have surplus money, they use that money to upgrade their systems. I mean, what else are you going to do with it? You can't just shovel it out the door to your stockholders because you don't have any stockholders. And so publicly owned utilities, and you can, you can Google this, publicly owned utilities are much more reliable, much less likely to suffer shutdowns and meltdowns like this. At uh, 7 o'clock Pacific time this morning, I flipped on Fox News just to see what they were, and they're literally their, open, their lead story, the opening sentences, windmills shut down in Texas causing crisis, or words to that effect. Natural gas is going to back us all up. Well, not so much when the natural gas freezes because natural gas has moisture in it. And so you, you know, if you don't insulate your pipelines, which Texas didn't bother to do, because they're like, well, you know, this only happens once in a while. It happened in 2011, it happened in 1989. I mean, that's what, twice in the last 40 years, 50 years, it's not a big deal. Apparently nobody told Texas that there is this thing called global warming and that it is getting worse. And the global warming does cause things like this massive cold wave. I realize it seems contradictory, but it's true.
on the line with us is the uh, one of the world's leading climate scientists, Dr. Michael Mann, distinguished professor of meteorology. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. The director of the Earth System Science Center at Penn State University, member of the National Academy of Sciences, recipient of Tyler Prize, the author of several books, his latest, The New Climate War, his previous, The Madhouse Effect, Michael Mann with two N's, dot net is his website, uh, Twitter handle, Michael E. Mann with two N's. And, uh, and Michael and I have uh, appeared in several documentaries together, and he's just a, an extraordinary man. Dr. Mann, uh, no, no pun intended. Dr. Mann, welcome back to the program. Um, please describe for us why Texas is so cold right now. Yeah, thanks, Tom. It's always a pleasure uh, to be on the show with you, my friend. One of the things that you hear from climate change deniers is this idea that a cold winter outbreak like the one we're seeing in Texas is somehow a disproof of human-caused climate change. And the reality is that it's nothing of the sort. If you look at all of the records, cold and warm over time, we're seeing all-time records for warmth around the world. If you count up every day of the year um, and every location on the earth, and you can tally how often in any one location you break the record for that day, either the warm record or the cold record. And the warm records are outpacing the cold records two to one, which is exactly what we expect in in a warming world. Um, But here's the thing. There may be some evidence that the cold extremes aren't going away as quickly as the hot extremes are increasing. And that may be because climate change not only is warming up the planet, but it's changing the behavior of the jet stream, of our atmosphere. And we do seem to be getting an unusually large number of these bitter Arctic uh, cold air outbreaks in recent years, in in midwinter in the United States, um, like we're seeing right now. And it's associated with the so-called polar vortex that we hear so much about. If the polar vortex weakens, Um, It's what bottles up the cold air in the Arctic. And if that tight band of winds that's associated with the jet stream and what we call the the polar vortex, if that weakens, then you can sort of get these cold blobs that sort of break off and drift down into lower latitudes. And that's what's happening right now. Now, there's some reason to believe that human-caused warming may actually weaken the polar vortex and weaken the jet stream. And that's because the Arctic is warming faster than the rest of the planet because of the melting of ice. 
Um, that leads to an amplifying effect. Uh, there's more warming in the Arctic than there is at lower latitudes, and that reduces the temperature contrast between the Arctic, which is warming up faster, and the subtropics. If you reduce that temperature contrast, then we understand the physics of that. Uh, you decrease the strength of the jet stream and the strength of the polar vortex. So it's at least plausible that the increase in these uh, cold air outbreaks may be related to how climate change is impacting our atmospheric circulation. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're seeing record cold. Uh, what everybody is getting so excited about here is something that would have been typical in the 1960s and the 1970s. It's just a bout. It's just a, um, a temporary episode of what we might call old-fashioned cold. So we're not seeing record, all-time records for cold set here. We're just seeing sort of a cold that we haven't seen in, in some decades. And meanwhile, this year, this last summer, we set the record for the hottest temperature ever reliably recorded on the planet in Death Valley, California. So we need some perspective here. Mm -hmm. So if I could turn this into a metaphor for people who may not get the physics of it, if we were to think of, and, and, and please, uh, you know, uh, feel free to interrupt me if I get any of this wrong, or please. If we were to imagine that the Arctic is like an old medieval castle built someplace in Europe, and around that castle is a giant wall, you know, like the, like the wall around the old city of Jerusalem, for example, or the, you know, or the wall around a lot of castles. And that wall is the jet stream and it is keeping and the castle is the arctic region with filled with very very cold air and so that jet stream wall that that's that band of high speed wind that that runs like a like a giant river around the around the northern polar region circular all around the planet continuously if that wall weakens then the cold that is the castle inside the wall starts spilling out as the the wall actually deforms, the wall itself will just like move, you know, a half a mile or, or something. In, in and I'm, I'm mangling this metaphor now. And that castle cold comes with that moving wall, and that's what that's what's happened. The jet stream has bent or dipped all the way down to to Mexico, when normally it stops somewhere in central Canada. Is that do I have that right? Yeah, and if I can extend the metaphor and, in fact, bring in a Princess Bride reference, because I never resist the opportunity to do that. Um, okay. <laughs> it's sort of like we've opened up <laughs> we've opened up the portcullis, the gate to that uh, fortress, and allowed the cold air out. And that's, you know, one way of thinking of this. Um, it, it's not a bad analogy at all. In fact, it's an analogy that's pretty faithful to the underlying mathematics and physics. The idea that the, this tight band of winds is like a wall that keeps the cold walled in to the old city, the Arctic, um, and we've opened the door now. We've opened the portcullis and, and allowed the, uh, the cold air to escape uh, out into lower latitudes. Uh, the United States, Europe, which is seeing similar cold. Of course, uh, many of your listeners may have seen the snowfall in Athens. I mean, we haven't seen that in a long time, but it's not unprecedented. What we're getting now mm -hmm. is a is, you know, an episode of old-fashioned cold, not record-breaking cold, but record-breaking heat. We are seeing that every summer, and that's all consistent with a warming planet, with what we expect on a warming planet.
You and I had this conversation, it must have been five years ago, when I was living on a boat in, the, in, the, in Washington, D.C., you know, in the, in the harbor there. He had this, they called it a bomb cyclone, and it froze the, the Potomac River, you know, where we were. We had these ice eaters uh, around the boat that were circulating the water to keep it from freezing and damaging the hull of the boat. It was uh, quite the emergency. And my recollection is that at the time you were saying, you know, expect this to happen more frequently. Am I remembering that correctly? And is that what's going on? It's possible that we're going to see more uh, frequent Arctic blasts, cold air outbreaks. Now, they won't be breaking all time records for cold because the planet's warmed up so much. And so Mm -hmm. what that really means is we may not see the disappearance of extreme cold as quickly as we might expect on a warmer uh, on a warming planet. We might expect to continue to see these cold air outbreaks um, even as the planet warms up because it's possible that climate change is creating a more favorable atmospheric environment for these cold air you know masses to break off of the uh, polar vortex and drift down into lower latitudes. Uh, but it won't be record breaking cold. It'll just be sort of that old-fashioned cold uh, that we grew up with in the 1960s and the 1970s. Um, You know, at the same time, of course, we're seeing new records for heat, and and that's truly dangerous, right? Because we're not seeing cold that exceeds our human experience. So this is like the 60s, is there... Last century. Yeah. As cold air is leaving the Arctic, is it being replaced at the Arctic with, with warm air from other latitudes? I mean, is this accelerating the melting of the Arctic? Uh, to an extent, there's evidence of that, right? What we're seeing is is the uh, mixing process. So the cold air is drifting down into lower latitudes. But meanwhile, we're seeing a lot of warm air make it up into those higher latitudes. And that might impact, uh, you know, Arctic, the melt of Arctic sea ice. And so that is something we have to keep a watch on. So, Dr. Mann, as I recall, back when you and I were discussing this a half a decade ago or thereabouts, at that point in time, there was, uh, as I recall, a, a, a scientist, uh, my, my recollection is it was a woman, who was suggesting this theory that the jet stream would weaken as a result of global warming because the Arctic was warming so much faster than the mid-latitudes. That was an explanation for some of the, uh, the, the polar vortex uh, situations we were seeing. And it was very controversial at that point in time in science. What's the status of that perspective right now. You were you were sort of quoting that a, a few minutes ago, but you yeah. did qualify it. Yeah. What evidence do we have uh, and what, you know, and where is the skepticism? So there's an emerging body of evidence and uh, I think you're alluding to uh, Jennifer Francis, who's really yes. played a very important role in, in investigating those connections and in fact, uh, in communicating them to the public. And I was delighted that she recently won the Climate Communication uh, Prize of the American Geophysical Union for her efforts to really inform our conversation about these linkages. Um, and so, you know, Jennifer, she's at the uh, Woods Hole Research Center. She's continuing to publish research in this area. And I think she makes a credible case um, for these connections that we've talked about, that the accelerated warming of the Arctic may, in fact, be impacting the jet stream in a way that counterintuitively can lead to more of these uh, polar vortex breakdowns like we've seen this winter and other previous winters, um, there is still a scientific debate, um, and it's a healthy debate, right? This is the way science is supposed to be, and the critics like to say, oh, you know, where's the debate? Well, there's no debate about whether climate change is real or human-caused. That's the a consensus of, uh, you know, the, the, the world scientific community and every scientific uh, organization 
um, every academy that has investigated the science. We know that to be true. There's been a debate about those things. How will climate change impact extreme winter, uh, extreme uh, weather events in the winter here in North America? There is a debate, and there are scientists who have challenged uh, Jennifer's findings, and Jennifer has counter challenges, and that all plays out in the peer-reviewed literature and at scientific meetings, the way science is supposed to work. So science is working the way it's supposed to be working. They're the things that we know well, um, you know, and, and, and what we know well is that climate change is real, human-caused. It's already a major threat, and it will be a much greater threat if we don't act. But all of the specifics about how it might impact certain types of extreme weather events, scientists are still in good faith debating some of those connections. We're seeing more extreme heat events. We, we, you know, there's a, I think that's fairly clear to everybody. Are we seeing more extreme cold events as well? No, what we are, what we are seeing is more extreme cold than we might expect on a warming planet. So the extreme cold doesn't seem to be going away as fast as the extreme warmth is coming. It's sort of lopsided. The, the, the impact of the warming seems to, in a sense, be greater when it comes to extreme warm events than the diminishing of extreme cold events. And that might have to do with these changing, you know, changing conditions in the atmosphere, the impact of climate change on the jet stream, on the polar vortex. And again, that's an area where, you know, there are scientists still debating in good faith with each other about those connections. But it's at least plausible that that's what we're seeing here. Now, there's a, an ocean current, sometimes referred to as the Great Conveyor Belt, that transports yeah. heat from the Pacific down around the southern tip of Africa, up the east coast of the United States, where we refer to it as the Gulf Stream. It conveys some considerable heat, I believe, to, to the east coast of the U.S., moderates a moderating effect, and then it crosses the Atlantic and, and sinks back down to the lower oceans off the coast of, of Europe, basically, uh, the southern Greenland yeah. and, and uh, western uh, U.K. And that is the, my understanding is that current is the reason why Europe, which has a latitude similar to Alaska, actually has a climate similar to Indiana. Uh, a, do I have that right? And B, what is climate change doing to that? Yeah, and so yeah, basically what you describe is, is, is the situation. Now, it's a bit of a simplification because part of why Europe is so warm is the same reason that Seattle is so much warmer than, you know, Labrador, um, a similar latitude on the East Coast, because you have these westerly winds, these winds from the west that are, you know, coming in off the ocean, which is relatively warm in the winter, and bringing that warmer maritime air um, as it makes, uh, you know, as it makes, uh, you know, it, 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 it reaches us, um, it reaches the land. Right. So, so that's also, so Europe, even if the uh, so-called conveyor belt circulation, which, as you say, is sort of a, a, an extension of what we think of as the Gulf Stream. The Gulf Stream is really a, a term that scientists use more to describe the strong wind, uh, the, the strong ocean currents off the east coast, the mid-Atlantic east coast off of Cape Hatteras. And then it sort of curves around, travels north and east towards Iceland and Europe, and then it becomes what we call the North Atlantic Drift. Technically, it isn't the Gulf Stream anymore. It's a part of the Gulf Stream that sort of breaks away. It doesn't recirculate in the gyre, and it travels north. And it does bring warmer waters 
to Iceland, to uh, coastal Europe, and it does have a moderating influence. Now, if the Gulf Stream uh, were to shut down, it turns out you probably wouldn't get Ice Age-like conditions in Europe because you still have those maritime winds uh, over the ocean that are bringing that warm oceanic air into Europe. And so the Gulf Stream, or what we really call the North Atlantic Drift, is only part of the picture. And because of that, if it does shut down, uh, it won't lead to sort of a new ice age um, in Europe. But what it might do is, um, you know, offset uh, much of the warming and perhaps in some regions lead even to a little bit of cooling. For example, Iceland could actually see some cooling from a shutdown of this ocean current. Now, for a long time, we thought that this wouldn't happen, you know, for decades from now. But um, a study that I was actually involved in a few years ago with uh, scientists from, from the uh, Potsdam Institute in Germany, Stefan Romstorff and colleagues, we showed in, in a journal, uh, one of the nature journals, that climate change appears to be leading to a slowing down of that current now, not decades from now. And we think it's because Greenland is losing ice earlier than we expected. So that fresh water from the melting ice is flowing into the North Atlantic, making the waters lighter because fresh water is lighter than and cold water, um, and then salty water, um, and it's inhibiting the sinking motion that sort of drives that conveyor belt. So we think that's happening ahead of schedule. It's an example of where uncertainty isn't our friend. This is one of those impacts that might be playing out earlier than we predicted. Remarkable. Dr. Michael Mann, thank you so much for dropping by, Dr. Mann. It's always great talking with you. Uh, you too, my friend. Thank you. Great, great having you with us. Check out his latest book, The New Climate War. It's, uh, it's rather extraordinary reading. That's all for this week's Science Revolution. You can find the video portions of the Science Revolution on YouTube and check out our Facebook page.